So for me, food was actually something that made me stronger, more powerful, and I never felt taken advantage of in that sense. I felt I had um, the, the gift of offering a lot of joy. And my grandfather used to say, feeding people is a blessing. It drives wives wicked. It makes such a golden brown pot. It must be lots of fun to be a mother. I've got something to apologize for. I wore my good suit because it was plain and neat. Afraid of not knowing what is proper? This yellow fluffo is such a short shortening. Hi, I'm Susan Osman, and this is Being There, Done That, a show about women who are shaping our world. They're not just striving, but thriving. Experienced, smart women who are redefining what it means to be a woman in the workplace. You know I can't work without a good breakfast. All right, Claire, stop typing, please. All right, Claire, stop typing, please. All right, Claire, stop typing, please. This week, I talked to one of these women, Irene Georgiglo, author, olive oil sommelier, chef, winner of MasterChef, ambassador for women in the food industry, and Slow Food UK, as well as promoter of Greek food. And she joins me now. Hi, Irene. Hello, Susan. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to have you on the programme. Can I ask you to begin with about your name? Yes. Um, it's, it's got two parts. Uh, it means the son of George in Turkish. So it's George Oglu. And uh, there was a family myth that it came from an Irish civil engineer who a few generations back was invited to Turkey to design some public buildings. And um, more recently, after winning MasterChef, I thought I'd better find out if there is actually any truth to this story. So John advised me, my husband, to take a DNA test and see if there was any Irish blood. So I did that. Zero Irish blood, but... um, 32% Italian and 23% Turkish. So that was a bit of a surprise. But yes, that's my name. That's where it comes from. So you're you're obviously Greek. Where where did you grow up as a little girl? Uh, In a tiny village on the island of Crete, in the middle of the island of Crete. The village had about 35 farmers, farming families. Um, I don't know if it's the passage of time that makes everything seem rosy and happy, but I remember having a very happy childhood, um, very free to roam around, very involved in what my parents were doing. They were farmers, so every hour that was free from school or homework, it would be spent with them, picking olives, picking grapes, tending to the animals, um, you know, just just having... um, a lot of contact with the earth and the environment. And I think that does tend to bring about joy and happiness. Who were your role models? Did you have a a strong mother or grandmother to look up to? Or was it your father who influenced your early years? Uh, Both sets of grandparents gave me qualities and obviously characteristics in the DNA traveled down, certainly. My maternal grandparents were very hospitable. My grandfather was a priest and the house was always full of people. And that's where I think I get my uh, hospitality, the sense of hospitality, also a very strong work ethic from one family. The other family loved um, the good things in life. They came from Asia Minor. They were quite well to do there. 
um, they love to dance and uh, beautiful food and things like that. But um, I, I'm afraid the the negative memories that I have from childhood, and I think the ones that really shaped me as a woman of the world later on in life, um, sadly with my wings a bit clipped, was uh, my father. Well, my father, because he was a very demanding um, he had very um, high expectations and he was very authoritative. So, yes, I'm afraid that my self-esteem up until winning MasterChef was terrible. Really? And you, you won MasterChef at the age of 60. What about your grandmothers? Did they instill in you uh, any rebellion or, or, or strategies to deal with the men or your, <laughs> indeed your father who, who sounds quite strict yes and my grandfather you see the priest was very strict so my grandmother his wife um, and that is totally in line with uh, the history of Crete as an island which was very matriar matriarchal in authority and in, in approach uh, my grandmother, very big woman who would not hesitate to grab a, a rabbit and just twist it in its neck and throw it in a pot, you know, it used to horrify me as a little child. Uh, but she always told me from, from a young age, because she could see that I had a rebellious streak, that, that um, that is not the way to go about getting your own way. The way to deal with men is to make them believe that the ideas are theirs, that yes, absolutely, you will do what they want, and actually you would do what you wanted. So, so, your, so your grandmother had the right idea. She thought in order to, uh, to get on, you had to appease men, which is quite sad in a way, isn't it, that we have to subjugate who we are as women to get on. Uh, very sad, but I thought she actually thought she had one up of my grandfather because she thought okay if I can fool you to believe that you are both and you go to the cafe Neo and everybody every other man thinks the same and you're all sitting there um, you know having jolly times thinking your women are actually weak creatures my grandfather probably didn't have a clue about half the things that were happening in the household so who taught you to cook then Irini uh, so, yes, I, I don't believe that anybody specifically taught me to cook. But, you know, when you're surrounded by wonderful produce, smells, because in a tiny village, everybody cooks and every, you know, you could, you didn't just have the influences from your own home. Everything we ate was home cooked. And so was every other family's. And there was a lot of food sharing, too. My grandmother fed the thousands because my grandfather, the priest, would bring lots of people into the house. And they also had workers uh, tending to the fields. My, grand, my father was very social, a very social animal. He played music and he would bring groups of people to the house. And my mom would have to rustle food together. So I was witnessing all this happening. And very often my mom would ask me to help. So uh, food was... Um, the axis, actually, of our life. I want to ask you about women generally in, in kitchens. Why do you think it is there are still so few well-known female chefs when actually, predominantly, it's women who do the, most of the cooking in the world? Yes, but of course, to become known as anything, you've got to leave your own kitchen at the house. That's the thing. Somebody needs to make room for you to be in a commercial kitchen. Now. 
I am old enough to to be a realist, um, and I understand, and I have been in commercial kitchens. Uh, I understand it's very hard work, and it's demanding. So whether you work in a seasonal hotel on the island of Crete, which is open for seven eight months of the year. Um, whether you are in a big hotel in this country, in the UK, or internationally, or a restaurant, the hours are many, and it's backbreaking. So, in the past, where the emphasis was on a woman to be at home and be a mother and be a housewife, you just couldn't juggle both. You you just couldn't do it. These days, when men are more prepared to take um, a more active role in the house and help and share, and women are also much happier to go out in the real world and earn money, uh, build careers, um, I this is being readdressed a little, but we are still at the beginning. I think it's ironic that given that we were being told as women we needed to get back into the kitchen, from what you're saying is that in order to be in a commercial kitchen, you had to be given the space, presumably by a man, to let you in. Well, you know, I was going to say that the only difference I see between the two, sadly, is money. I actually think some men think that women have a jolly. You know, they're doing it because it's a hobby and they love doing it and they and they don't stop to think that, hold on a moment. I am presented with this delightful meal. My guests are, I choose to invite people and they're entertained, but there's actually a lot of work that goes into that because it's not just uh, doing the final little touches, it's shopping, it's peeling the vegetables, it's, it's actually spending hours on your feet. Mm, I know this because I'm totally, I'm constantly recipe testing, I'm constantly in the kitchen working. And at the end of the evening, Sometimes I think to, I need to sit straight to straighten my back because I, I feel really tired. I'm sure John thinks that I'm having a ball. I, I was so looking forward to talking to you, Irene, because I have a confession to make. and. I kind of I feel like this question I'm going to ask you is going to be uh, rather cathartic for me. So, as a young girl, uh, given that I was reported for not wanting to be a, you know, a nurse or a, a secretary, I I categorically refused to learn to cook because I felt that the woman's lot was that she was expected to cook. She was expected to cook. For, you know, she was expected to get married. She was expected to cook for her family. And as a protest, I never learned to cook. And <laughs> it's only now, uh, when I'm a bit older, I've thought, well, what a daft thing to have made a, to made a, a kind of rebellion against. Because now I, I wouldn't be able to cook wonderful dishes that you do. And I'm only just beginning to catch up with myself. But do you think there is an expectation that women have to cook? I don't see it these days. I'm very happy to say that even even amongst friends of my own age, um, there are women friends that I have who say, I'm sorry, I'm not going anywhere near the kitchen. That's my husband's department. You know, that's my... And I I love seeing that, actually, because, yes, it it reminds me that we are uh, making 
a change gradually. And their husbands feel very okay to hear that. You know, they don't feel threatened. They they acknowledge that uh, each one has different talents and brings them into the partnership. And that's absolutely fine. I am not sure that that expectation now exists. And I don't see it in my stepchildren either, who are obviously much younger. Uh, now, I'm, I'm talking about the West. I'm talking about Britain. <laughs> if you go to my village and you talk to my aunt and you share this notion with her, she will say, are you crazy? You are not going to cook for your husband? You know, yeah, no, he would no is the answer. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you know the 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 irony is, Irene. I did say this was a bit cathartic. This this bit of our conversation. I was a, I, I was a single mother for for many years, and even though I I mean I absolutely refused to cook. The number of times I used to read how people in the diplomatic corps were judged by their women's cooking, and if I thought if I hear another woman cooing over the cake she's made or you know, what she's made for the family. I thought I'm going to shoot myself. And so I never, ever learned to cook. But when my son was 13, I sent him <laughs> to a, a, a gastro pub and I said to the chef, please teach my son to cook because he's not going to learn from me and get him to peel potatoes, you know, be, you know, shout at him, boss him around, whatever you do in the kitchens, get him to cook. And as a result, my son now, is a fantastic cook, and he's he's always saying to me, "Mother, you know, get over it, get over the ideological rebellion you made all those years ago." And I, <laughs> it's only it's only really in the last. I I've just uh, went to visit my son. He lives in New York, and I cooked him a meal <laughs> for the first time. I mean, obviously, when he was a little boy, I did fish fingers and macaroni cheese and all that kind of stuff because obviously, my, I wasn't going to starve my child. But I, I, I got a friend in America and I said, maybe now it's time I learned to cook. And she, she taught me a couple of recipes and then I cooked for my son, who was kind of like speechless that I cooked him a meal. Well, I've been thinking all along that actually we, our beliefs are shaped by our personal experiences. And it's interesting because you were talking about the, the impact that food provision you know, head on you, the, the way you saw it, you attached the political almost essence to that. Whereas, to the contrary, I, as a child, I associated food with giving, sharing pleasure, uh, being hospitable. Um, but I took, but I took, I mean, there were other areas perhaps in life that I could see the politics, you know, and the male uh, power and dominance, and I rebelled towards that. But it wasn't around food. I actually saw that as a weapon that my mother had over my father. My father, at the end of the day, after having worked in the fields, would go to the cafe and socialize and have fun. And I used to remember thinking, my God, mom, my mother is such a brilliant power. You know, she comes home and she's tired and then out of nothing, she creates this wonderful meal and she has to do that and she has to do the other. and she has to. So for me, food was actually something that made me stronger, more powerful, and I never felt taken advantage of in that sense. I felt I had um, the the gift of offering a lot of 
joy and my grandfather used to say feeding people is a blessing so I, I do remember all these beautiful connotations around cooking I also like eating good food so I'm definitely going to be using your um, recipe book after uh, after talking to you under the olive tree um, talking of olives um, you're an olive oil sommelier now I've heard of a, a wine sommelier tell us what an olive oil sommelier is uh, I didn't know anything about it until after I won MasterChef and it was a chance interview. I came across and I thought, oh my goodness, we've always produced our own olive oil. The whole Mediterranean diet is based on this pillar of this golden liquid, the olive oil. Um, and I know nothing about it. How How is that possible? So I was very lucky to come across a, a course whereby within the space of a week, we tested 150 different olive oils, always extra virgin. We had some amazing tutors from doctors to chefs to international competition judges. And what you learn is obviously all the health benefits of olive oil, but you learn all about all the different varieties of olives that exist. You understand what type of fat it is and how it can be used to complement your food, how it can be paired. You, in that course, were, you know, myths were busted because olive oil has a bad name when it comes to a high smoke point or low smoke point, you know, where olive fats in olives break down, in oils rather, cooking oils break down and then they start becoming, you know, cancerous and, and bad for you. And Olive oil always had a bad name about that. And, and now I'm fascinated almost every day out of a big research center, university, um, a hospital, whatever. We get reports so regularly that show how amazing a cooking medium olive oil is. How do we know we're eating a good olive oil? Like many things, like honey, it applies to many things. If you pay very little money at the supermarket for your olive oil, it's probably not very good. Um, as a consumer, we are not we are not terribly protected. So, for example, if an olive oil, if an extra virgin olive oil has been infused with something say basil or lemon or whatever, it stops by definition being extra virgin olive oil. And yet on labels, you will still see in supermarkets, extra virgin olive oil, lemon, you know, flavor or whatever. Mm, or you will see olive oil that says packaged or bottled in the EU. At that point, you have no idea. It's most likely a blend of different oils. So my advice always when I talk to people is um, buy, first of all, olive oil from passionate people who understand. And that's probably all they do. They import from, we live in the UK, I live in the UK. So these people could be importing from Spain or Italy or Greece or whatever, but they know good olive oil. So you can trust them because that's their job. Uh, protect it when you bring it home. So don't leave it very close to heat or light because that damages the polyphenols, which is actually the beneficial um, antioxidants in the olive oil. And um, smell it and try it. Um, 
it should be very, very fresh. It should transport you to an olive grove. It shouldn't taste of paint or nail varnish remover or, you know, dirty linen. Or <laughs> Honestly, if you try a few different olive oils that you buy in a supermarket, you'll probably come across all those smells and flavors that I'm describing. You've been on an amazing journey and, and well done for winning um, MasterChef. What would you say to women listening to this who, like me, have a huge resistance to cooking because it's an expectation? What, what would you say to them? Well, I would say turn it totally around and, and, and think of it as you ultimately, or first and foremost, doing something to give pleasure to you. Never mind. Don't think about the other people who are going to be eating or, you know, taking advantage of, of what you've uh, produced with a lot of effort and, and hard, you know, work. Uh, think of it. Actually, I'm going to. First of all, I'm. I can do it. I know I can do it. So I have chosen all these years not to do it, but I can do it. What is it? What is it to cooking really than dealing with some ingredients? And putting them together in a way that they will be cooked, they won't be raw, although you could make a beautiful salad, um, and and sit and enjoy it myself. And that's how I'm going to start. I'm going to see it as a totally selfish thing for me. And I'm going to use the time that I'm cooking as a meditation time, as a me time, because that's what I do when I'm in the kitchen. I put the world to rights in my head. I forgive uh, my father all his uh, indiscretions towards me when I was little. I reconcile things that I argued with John about. So, you know, I use that time to do that. And then, of course, when I produce something and I share it with my husband, whom I love, so I do it with love. And he's like, oh my gosh, yes, this is, it's like an experience that we have together and we are loving it. And I'm sure that's what you experienced with your son when you sat and ate the dish that you cooked. And it's uh, true. I'm going to get my, I'm going to get my rolling pin and my, my wooden spoon and my, <laughs> my uh, apron on immediately I finish talking to you, Irene. So very briefly, looking, <laughs> looking ahead, um, what does the future hold for you? You know, for a long time, I wondered why I won MasterChef at 60. I thought, does really the world need another chef? Do they need another MasterChef winner? What What am I going to do with this? Yes, I've got an amazing platform. I can help Greek producers. I can do all these things. But it means something that I won this at 60. And it means something that I struggled with the praise I was receiving. I didn't believe in myself until they gave me the trophy that I was good enough for it. So I am actually working right now with a leadership expert to be able to deliver um, a signature talk through which I can empower other women, perhaps who don't need to wait until they're 60 or 70 or never experience it, to actually tell them about me and how it happened to me with the hope that they will feel 
okay, maybe I can attempt something. I can pursue something that until now I thought I couldn't. So this is the future that I'm focusing on for the rest of the year. Of course, I've got pop-ups and uh, we're launching Greek cuisine in the UK with the recipe box company. And there are lots of things happening where I am physically cooking. But what excites me the most is being able to make a difference through food. You're really Georgia Glue. I can definitely say you have been there, done that. Thank you for talking with me. Thank you very much, Susan. It was a great pleasure. Thank you for listening to Being There, Done That with me, Susan Osman. Visit us on btdtshow.com for more interviews with dynamic women. And I'd love to hear from you as well. So please leave us a review and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. These are words of respect. How can you tell when you're really in love? And look how flaky it is. The girls weigh each portion of food they select. The Been There, Done That show is brought to you by Dan Hall at Pup Media Consultancy. We can still have a lot of fun, can't we? Your manners are showing. I'm a princess. Mabel loves cooking and does it well. Overweight makes an individual undesirable. Lovely stockings. And you think that's all that matters?